Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. My name is Nick Garisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode three. Let's get ready for a mock draft. Hakeem dropped the ball! Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. We let them all do it. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. What the hell's going on out here? Cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep trickling the ball down the field, boy. I saw it, son. I saw Hello? You play to win the game. That's right. Today's show is a special one. I'll be doing a live mock draft. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. From pick 12. And the picks between me will be a live simulation, so we won't have to wait three years between picks when the draft snakes around the entire world. And I'll also answer a great Instagram question about Dalvin Cook. Let's kick off with some fantasy news. Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver Deshaun Jackson posted messages on his Instagram story on Monday evening, and I'm not going to repeat some of the quotes, but they were attributed to Adolf Hitler, so that is suboptimal. I've read that the quotes were actually since then not Hitler quotes, but the content in them is pretty anti-Semitic, and the message is what is at issue here. He also had a post praising a leader of a hate group and a black separatist organization. Jackson said that his posts were taken the wrong way. He apologized a few times and he said that he didn't realize what he was saying. One higher up member of the Eagles called it appalling. And more importantly, the Eagles released an official statement regarding Deshaun Jackson's messages on his Instagram. They said... Quote, we are continuing to evaluate the circumstances and will take appropriate action. And that could be foreshadowing on a potential Eagles decision to cut Deshaun Jackson. The political climate is hot right now, and I certainly don't want to downplay Deshaun Jackson's ignorance or his message. But this is a fantasy football podcast, so what is the fantasy fallout if the Eagles were to cut Deshaun Jackson? Right now, he's ranked 153 overall and has a 148 ADP in FFPC. He's wide receiver 61 on Fantasy Pro's consensus expert rankings. He's kind of been a perfect best ball flyer because it's often hard to predict when Deshaun Jackson's going to have those spiked weeks or whether he'll stay healthy. He did not last year. Deshaun Jackson is 32 years old. But we saw in week one that he clearly has, when he is healthy, game-changing speed. He scored on bombs from 51 and 53 yards out in the opener against the Washington Redskins and hung a, an 8, 154, and two-touchdown line on the Redskins on 10 targets. Unfortunately, he injured a core, or he suffered a core and growing injury after 10 snaps in week two. He missed five games with that before trying to suit up against Chicago in week nine. In that game, he caught one pass for five yards, and then he told the training staff they didn't feel right, and then he never suited up for the rest of the season. Jackson underwent surgery in November for a core muscle injury. 
Deshaun Jackson's injury was a big part of the reason the Eagles often struggled down the stretch last season. But it wasn't just him. Alshon Jeffrey got hurt down the stretch. Weeks 11 through 18, Jeffrey was out. Nelson Aguilar was out as well. Obviously, Deshaun Jackson was out. That left, I think, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside was playing through an injury. That kind of left Greg Ward, ended up being this team's go-to receiver. So this is the secret weapon. The Eagles had to make an offensive philosophical shift where they featured their two stud tight ends and their running backs out of the backfield. I mean, that was their passing game. That was the only way Wentz could even move the ball. Alshon Jeffrey is fully expected to start the season on PUP. He'll probably miss at least six games. We can't reasonably rely on him to stay healthy, and neither can the Eagles. And his presence is actually a big deal for Carson Wentz. His splits without and with Alshon Jeffrey on the field are staggering. He, Alshon Jeffrey is very important to this Eagles offense. He, he's, he's more, he has more real-life significance than fantasy. But so is Deshaun Jackson. You could argue the same for him because his speed has to be respected by defensive backs. And it creates space for guys like Zach Ertz, guys like Goddess Godair to take advantage of. And all of this, all of these injuries prompted the Birds to spend their first round pick on Jalen Rager out of TCU, who I expect to play behind DJX initially before eventually being his replacement. And that's definitely a big factor in this saga. Rager would immediately step in as the Eagles' number one receiver. And even if he's raw and more of an athlete than receiver at this point, Rager's 124 FFPC ADP will definitely shoot up, I think into the 90s or maybe even the 80s. Other somewhat obvious ramifications of a loss of DJX would be that Zach Ertz's cost would climb. He's kind of routinely being drafted as tight end four behind Kelsey Kittle. Then there's kind of this gap and then Mark Andrews, and there's another gap, and then Zach Ertz, and then there's a big gap between tight end five, who's usually Darren Waller. That's how most drafts are playing out right now. But the effect in the fantasy expert community of all this, if Deshaun Jackson were to get cut, in my estimation would be that Zach Ertz climbs up to that Mark Andrews territory, and people kind of start seeing them similarly and drafting them as two peas in a pot. Another ripple effect I think we'd see is Carson Wentz sliding down rankings from quarterback 9 to 10 where he is now to quarterback 12-ish. And that's actually a huge deal because if you like Wentz and you want him on your teams this year, being quarterback 12 instead of quarterback 10 is a, is massive because now if you're in a 12-team league, you have the luxury of waiting for everybody to take their quarterback before you take Wentz. There's a big difference in a 12-team league of being quarterback 10 and quarterback 12. That can buy you an extra round or two while you can wait on your quarterbacks as long as you beat people to the punch before they start taking their backups, which could be three, four rounds later after the 11th or 10th quarterback is taken. So potentially big ramifications there, even if Carson Wentz does move down one or two or three slots in the rankings and correspondingly the ADP. Or none of this could matter at all because the Eagles may say just, hey, look, our dude had no clue what the hell he was talking about. He apologized several times. We talked to him. It won't happen again. He's taking some classes. Typically... Players like Deshaun Jackson, who are very valuable and important to a football team's success, as we saw last year, they're kind of given the benefit of the doubt. Let's take a look at our first Instagram question of the day and of the whole podcast series. And by the way, you can follow me at 
Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram to pose your questions. And if they're good, I'll answer them on the show. And actually, they really don't have to be good at this point. I'm trying to gain a following here. So as long as they're remotely tied to fantasy football, then I'll probably list them on the show. So um, go ahead, DM me or uh, do whatever it is you need to do on Instagram to get my attention and ask a fantasy football question. And I will feature you on the show like this first one here. This first one's a good one. It is from at Thomas Dominguez, or Domingue, I should say. Uh, he asks, he says, hey, you loved Dalvin Cook in your draft guide last year, and he helped me get to the finals. Uh, I'm going to stop Thomas right there, and I always hear that all the time. People always say, oh, yeah, your guide really helped me get to the finals. I rarely ever hear your guide helped me win my league. It's, it's always, oh, yeah, you helped me get to the playoffs, you helped me get to the finals. So apparently my guide is 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 really good and helps me people helps people be competitive, but apparently I'm not putting the finishing touches. We're not, we're not finishing the job here, so I'll have to do something to kind of work on that. But I can't tell you all how many times I've gotten told, oh, yeah, you helped me get second last year. You know, you helped me make the playoffs or you helped me reach the finals. I didn't quite win, but, you know, it, it was good. It was a good season. So uh, that is not the goal, obviously. So we'll have to work on that, but I'm just messing around, Thomas. Uh, Thomas wants to know, how are you handling Dalvin Cook's holdout this year? Dalvin Cook, he is holding out. He's not showing up to any team activities without a reasonable extension, he quotes. Um, It's good that he's being reasonable, I guess. This is news that actually happened two weeks prior to this podcast existing, but it is huge for the fantasy landscape. New CBA, collective bargaining agreement that the players uh, union and the owners agreed to it, it makes it really tough for players to hold out. It's, I don't know why the players really agreed to it, that, that that's a topic for the, another podcast. So the reason it makes them tough for them to hold out is because they're not able to accrue a season into their careers. So where da- as Dalvin Cook would have been an unrestricted free agent hitting free agency next year, now if he holds out, it, his season does not accrue, and he would enter, I believe, restricted free agency next year, and he wouldn't be able to be an unrestricted free agent until the year after that. So um, I do predict that he will end this holdout, but I'm a little weary still of taking the chance in round one for other reasons. I think that it's worth mentioning the fantasy industry has not really taken this holdout threat seriously at all. His Average draft position has dropped only a few spots at most in most expert drafts and high-stakes money league drafts that I've reviewed. Cook was being drafted right after Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, and... Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? And Zeke. And his ADP overall was, I believe, 4.5 prior to this holdout. And now it's around pick 6.5, pick 7. So he's drafting a few spots. Maybe people are... Siding with Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara uh, over Dalvin Cook. But I think Thomas's question is whether I agree with that drop or not and where would I draft him. And I do agree with the drop. And I'm actually a little even more bearish than most of the experts on Cook this year. Uh, I loved Cook last year. He was the fifth overall player on my board. There's something crazy like that despite an ADP of like 17th overall. He was basically the poster boy of my draft guide and I drafted him on like every single team except for one. And I was, yeah, I still regret that. And I was a huge Dalvin Cook bounce back proponent. And a lot of the reasons that I took such a strong stance on Cook last offseason are still there. 
Cook is the talented focal point of a run-oriented team under the tutelage of uh, a running game wizard, Gary Kubiak, who's who I've always bet on for fantasy football purposes. He's got this amazing zone-blocking scheme dating back to the days where he worked under Mike Shanahan. We're talking Terrell Davis, Clinton Portis, Mike Anderson, Tatum Bell, Ruben Drones, Justin Forsett had that amazing year. Arian Foster, obviously, multiple years in Houston, and now Dalvin Cook. And this is a proven system you want to be a part of uh, for fantasy football purposes. Dalvin Cook also has the goal line role. He also has the receiving back role for a run-first team and a, with a very conservative, kind of defensive-minded coach in Mike Zimmer. So he, he has a lot of those things going for him, but he is not without red flags. My favorite thing about Cook last year really was how affordable he was because he was going mid to late second round in a lot of leagues because I think the public was scared of, and the experts alike, were scared of his injury history. But last year was the time to bet on Cook because he was able to almost play a full season where he was mostly healthy. And he had this breakout year. He kind of peaked statistically, in my opinion. And now the injury risk, he's being drafted, you know, picks four through seven. But the injury risk that caused him to go around pick 17 last year, that has not disappeared. It's actually gotten worse and is an ongoing concern. Cook has not managed to make it through a full season, and he underwent three shoulder surgeries in college, and he encountered more shoulder problems down the stretch in 2019, as I mentioned. He also tore his ACL in 2017, and he missed five games with a hamstring train in 2018. Again, these are all things that were making him uh, cost-effective, affordable last year. But then the shoulder issues are problematic because he, again, it's an ongoing concern because he ended up ending the season on, not on injured reserve, but he ended the season with shoulder issues that he kind of played through because the Vikings were in the playoff run or in a playoff push. And um, I think Dr. Edwin Porras at Fantasy or at FB Injury Doc of FantasyPoints.com put it best where he said, quote, objectively speaking, Without Cook's, without surgery on Cook's left shoulder, it has a 50% chance of re-dislocating. And his right one is about 25% from past injury. With each re-injury, more damage is done. And with more damage done, the more likely shoulder surgery is. And surgery to repair either side is a nine-month layoff. So a season ender right there. That's what Dr. Edwin Poor said. I trust his take more than my own take from a player's health standpoint, that is problematic. That is very risky. When you draft Alvin Cook, you're taking a huge, huge health risk. Yes, everyone with that much usage in round one is a health risk, technically. You know, Christian McCaffrey getting over 400 touches. Saquon Barkley projected to get over 300 touches. Same for Zeke. They're all health risks because they're getting the ball a lot. But fantasy football, like Matthew Berry says, is about minimizing the risk especially in round one and two, where you want to be conservative and get the foundation of your team. You don't want to be taking massive injury risk. Is there a bigger injury risk than Dalvin Cook in rounds one and two? I'm not so sure that exists. You can also make the argument that he, Cook, peaked statistically last season where kind of everything went right for him until he had the shoulder issues. Uh, It was all great. He scored a lot of touchdowns, but I I just can't see myself drafting him until the holdout ends because the holdout just kind of adds a little bit more uncertainty there. And I think all the argument that the experts are using, well, no one should ever hold out in this new CBA. It kind of ignores the facts that players sometimes don't care. 
you know, more specifically, running backs have ignored the advice of their agents or fans or whatever, the teams, recently. They've ignored better logic. Melvin Gordon's agent wanted him to sign last year, and he still held out. And it's kind of a, a fantasy fallacy to assume that a player or a coach will do something just because it's rational, right? Like, how many times have people been burned on that? Good riddance. I almost got burned. The NFL doesn't always do, or players don't always do what's rational. Was what Le'Veon Bell did rational? I mean, that's a whole nother debate, whether he was right or wrong on that, but he missed the whole season. And a lot of people assumed that he was going to end his holdout there too, but he didn't. So don't get me wrong, I do believe that the Vikings are going to pay up. I do believe that they're going to re-sign Cook. I think they'll cave, but who knows how long that's going to take. What if it's not until September? What if Cook just kind of does the bare, shows up, does the bare minimum just to let his, have an accrued season until he's signed? And I, I kind of feel uneasy about spending high draft picks on players who hold out into training camp and preseason because not only is the opportunity cost so high, you can get other safe players there, but also I just think there's inherent risk with how they, they'll start slow or how they can get hurt. Sometimes they show up out of shape. He's probably a Popeye's biscuit away from being a tight end. Sometimes they lose their timing because they're not in practice with their teammates. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. And it takes a little bit for them to get that huge role or to get back into shape. And if they sign a huge deal, let's say it does, the holdout does end, and that's what everybody wants. If they sign a huge deal, are they as motivated as they were when they were trying to get the bag, when they were trying to get all that guaranteed money, and now they have it. Great cash, homie. So long story short, there are there were already red flags, mainly health and statistically peaking red flags, that made Cook in top half of the first round risk. Now that you throw his holdout into the part of that equation, I think I'm kind of going against the grain on the experts here, and I don't think I can spend a first round pick on Cook until he ends his holdout. Uh, I'm more conservative in the early rounds than most people, but I'm not I'm not comfortable taking Dalvin Cook over much sure things right now, like Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, or even Julio Jones. All right, it's time for our first mock draft of the fantasy football offseason. It's not my first. It is pretty early, though, and it might be my first mock draft actually picking at the 12 spot, last pick. It's not my preferred pick, but I thought this would be a fun exercise to do in early mocks so y'all could kind of see the early 2020 fantasy football landscape, what that looks like. It's important to get the lay of the land in terms of who's going when and where and certain trends. That will happen this year. I was going to randomly select my pick, but I figured it would be more valuable to do several of the mocks throughout July and August at different spots in the draft. I'll try to do one from an early pick, one from a middle pick, maybe do some with 10 teams, 14 team formats. I'll definitely do a super flex mock. That's my preferred playing style. There are many possibilities, but today the format of this mock draft is 12 teams with ESPN settings, and it is PP, that is PPR, and we are starting one quarterback, two wide receivers, two running backs, one flex position, one tight end, one kicker, and one defense. So, 
it is your most basic league ever. I'm clicking start now. And again, the picks between my back-to-back picks at pick 12 are simulated based on consensus ADP for time purposes of this podcast episode. A few websites do let you do this, but I don't know who will be on the board for each of my turn picks until I submit my picks for the round. The first round is going right now. It looks like it is Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley. That's kind of your consensus top three right there. Two Saints in a row with Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and then Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, Derrick Henry, Devontae Adams, pretty late for him, Tyreek Hill, and then Julio Jones. Julio, get the stretch! So no real surprises there in round one. A pretty competitive round one. I I agree with a lot of those picks. I am on the clock, and immediately I'm tempted by the top six running backs on the board. They are Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, Kenyon Drake, Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, and Miles Sanders. And I'm eyeing the running backs because the best available receiver is DeAndre Hopkins and the Bucks receivers. They are Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. And they both kind of have big questions. They all have kind of have big question marks or changes, I should say. They have new quarterbacks. Ultimately, I think that the receivers here are similar to the ones that will probably make it back to me. There's so many good receivers this year. Uh, they'll be near that range in the round three or four turn. And I don't really see a huge drop off. With a guy like, I don't know, like Amari Cooper, Adam Thielen, if they make it back to me with, you know, the Bucks receivers or maybe even DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is a tough one to project. I would have been tempted by Julio Jones or Devontae Adams if they had made it because you kind of know what you're getting out of them. They're one of the safest picks in fantasy football, uh, but they didn't slide. So it really comes down to the running backs and... I'm sure we'll discuss all of these running backs at length in future episodes, but I'll try to do try to go through a quick pro and con list, just the major ones. Aaron Jones, uh, RB3 last year, but he has major touchdown regression coming. He scored 18 or 19 times last year. The Packers kind of seem like they want to get other running backs involved. That's kind of been the nature of their head coach, Mike LaFleur. And to that notion, they drafted potential goal line bruiser A.J. Dillon in round two, and they also have Jamal Williams. Um, Josh Jacobs, he's a baller on the ground, but he he really lacks receiving usage and was kind of weak in that department in year one. He did flash as a rookie overall. I do like his talent. Uh, but he also plays for a bad team with the subpar O-line, which is not ideal for your round one pick. And then Austin Eckler. He is one of the more efficient players in fantasy football the last two years. He does lose Melvin Gordon, which is a huge plus potentially. But he also loses Phillip Rivers, which is a tragic loss. It could have ramifications in the game script. It definitely will have ramifications in terms of Tyler Taylor's uh, ability to feature Austin Eckler in the receiving game. So that's kind of a worry there that he's going to drop off in receiving, which is is Eckler's biggest strength. Uh, Kenyon Drake. Starting to dislike the Drake. Hate the Drake. He was a top three running back in the final eight games after he was traded to Arizona last season. But while he does seem like a great fit for Cliff Kingsbury's Cliff Kingsbury's fast-paced offense, um, drafting him in round one or two 
based on his situation, really kind of has like a Damian Williams 2019 feel to it. And I really wasn't on Damian Williams at all last year. And it seems a little contradictory for me to be on Drake this year. Everything's different. And I'm not going to just say Kenyon Drake's automatically Damian Williams, but that's just kind of the vibe I get. Miles Sanders also kind of has that vibe too. He's another option here. And it's just hard for me to give first-round grades on players who are, quite frankly, not as proven as lead backs for more than a few games. And, And maybe it's because I've been burned in the past by guys like Jeremy Hill, Jay Ajay, David Wilson, the top three rounds. But since them, I've really kind of played rounds one and two very conservatively. I mean, missing on your round one guy can really tank your season. I'm definitely on board with Matthew Barry's philosophy. You, can, you can't you can win your draft in round one, but you can lose it. And, oh, Nick Chubb. I, I broke down the arguments for and against Nick Chubb at the end of round one, so I'll spare you there. I'm going to take... Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs here. I I believe in their talent and I believe in their role and they both appear to have the goal line role, which I really like. And I love drafting players whose team kind of needs them to be good, right? Like they're relying on them to be good. If that team, if the Raiders, if the Browns are going to be competitive, if they're going to make a playoff push, if they're going to be good this year, they need those running backs, Chubb and Jacobs, to excel. They need to be feeding them the ball. Uh, my only hesitation with Jacobs and Chubb is that is their lack of receiving game usage. Is this a PPR format? Uh, I really like my running backs to catch passes in PPR formats, but again, these options seem a little safer than the other options, and I'm just going to hope that Josh Jacobs at least improves in the receiving area. Uh, I don't think Nick Chubb will as long as Kareem Hunt's there. Okay, let's move on. Let's hold on. You might hear me click some during this podcast because I got to work through the draft here. Okay. All right. I have taken Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs. Took Nick Chubb first. He gets kind of the he gets the favoritism there of going 12th instead of 13th because he's more proven. Okay, we already have. The simulation, I should mention that Travis Kelsey was there at tight end, and he finishes tight end one for, I think, the past four straight seasons. And he's locked and loaded with Pat Mahomes, but at 12 overall, that's a little rich, and I'd be more comfortable with Kelsey at a onesie position like that in mid to late round two. Um, Both stud quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson and Pat Mahomes, were also there, but this is a standard start one quarterback league. It's not a super flex or a two-quarterback league or anything like that. I do think the industry is moving towards Superflex, as they should be. I'm a strong proponent of that. Um, however, this is your basic ESPN format. I'll have to do a two-minute rant warning of that at some point. Uh, but anyway, Mahomes and Lamar Jackson aren't really in consideration at the turn of round one and two, but just because the quarterback position is so deep. But let me say the players who have gone in rounds two and three. Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, Kenyon Drake. So three of the guys we're considering. Travis Kelsey again. There's DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Sanders, Lamar Jackson. Sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. 
He was the first quarterback taken at 20 overall. That actually might be later than some of your drafts. Uh, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, two Bucks receivers in a row. Pat Mahomes at 23. Usually he goes right after Lamar Jackson in most leagues that I've looked at, even expert leagues. Uh, George Kittle usually goes a couple of picks after Travis Kelsey, and he did here. He closes out round two. Uh, team one also, after they took Kittle, they took Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there to sit on my throne as the Prince of Bel-Air who has kind of been the subject of many debates among the industry's experts, one of the more polarizing players, and I'm sure we'll talk about him a lot this offseason in this podcast, Kenny Galladay. Yeah, this is a mock draft, so you're going to be hearing a lot of names, so you're going to be hearing a lot of my podcast soundboard that I've created. So if you do not like the noises, that is unfortunate for you. Allen Robinson, Odell Beckham, David Johnson, Amari Cooper, James Conner, Todd Gurley. Lee Melvin Gordon, a little bit of a running back run there. Mark Andrews tied in three. And then Adam Thielen. I mentioned Adam Thielen as a guy that I would be interested in probably at the three or four turn. He is not there. There are several good wide receivers on the board, though. Running backs already looking grim. Leonard Fournette and Chris Carson are the best available backs per the site's ranking sheet. I opened with two running backs, so there's really no sense of urgency there. I don't hate a guy like Chris Carson or David Johnson or James Conner or, or Melvin Gordon or Todd Gurley. I don't hate those guys enough, that group of runners, to where I would say, oh, you must go RBRB when you're picking late. But I, you know, I would strongly consider taking Devontae Adams or Julio Jones. That's fine. But I would not advise to opening two wide receivers this year. And that's only because they are usually safer picks. But that's only because the wide receivers available in rounds three or four are amazing. And if you look at them right here, or I'll tell you about them right here, the ones available for me, and this is at the end of round three too, not even the beginning of round three or the mid, this is in pick 36. The ones available for me are DJ Moore, Juju Smith-Schuster, both Rams receivers, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, Calvin Ridley, both Seattle receivers, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Cortland Sutton, Terry McLaurin. I mean, wow. I mean, there's just a ton of receiving options open there. So I'm definitely glad that I didn't open up with two wide receivers, not that I was considering it with the best receivers being DeAndre Hopkins and the Bucks receivers on the board. Uh, it does make my decision tougher here. I like the Rams receivers. I like the Seahawks receivers. But I think you can make great arguments for all four, four of them here. And I'd rather kind of, with those guys, I'd rather kind of be picking last of the, that bunch of four. They're all kind of ranked similarly for me. I'd rather kind of be picking last of that bunch and kind of letting them come to me. So here I'm kind of looking, I would have really liked Adam Thielen to fall here, but he went one pick before I was on board. Uh, so the two names that are popping out, I should say the three names that are popping out, the one that's popping out the most off the screen is Juju Smith-Schuster. But then there's also Calvin Ridley and DJ Moore. And Juju's kind of staring me right at the face, and I think he's an extreme value at pick 36. He was a top six wide receiver two seasons ago. And he's still at a really, really young age. And he had a forgettable off or not off season, forgettable season last year because he was playing hurt and he also was playing with scrubs at quarterback. 
Uh, Big Ben's back now, and at this point at pick 36, I think taking Juju Smith-Schuster is an easy choice. I will do that. So that leaves two NFC South wide receivers, Calvin Ridley and DJ Moore. Moore exploded in his second season despite terrible quarterback play. I'm I'm still actually kicking myself because I was really, really high on DJ Moore all offseason to the point where I would have probably drafted him on almost every team. And then the Curtis Samuel hype train got to me. And as the drafts came closer to mid-August, as most of my League of Records were, I wanted to push them closer and closer to each other in ADP, and that meant kind of sliding DJ Moore down. But it mainly meant sliding Curtis Samuel up because I thought they were going to finish similarly, and they did not. DJ Moore really had an amazing season last year, really under the radar because he only scored four touchdowns, but he's due for positive touchdown regression there. And I think I only had more on two of my teams last year because, and they, they were both, the ones both done like late July, early August, before I kind of got on board with Curtis Samuel and followed the hype. So that's regrettable. But uh, I think there was actually a team I had more in Samuel on, but I digress. I'm looking through my notes here. DJ Moore had at least 70-plus receiving yards in 11 of his 15 games last year. And he was, 20, had, he was only 22 years old and had Kyle Allen at quarterback. That's from Ian Kenyon at Bleacher Report. Uh, another nice stat I have on one is that he, uh, a tweet from Ben Gretsch of CBS Sports. He goes, I don't know who needs to hear this, but DJ Moore was PPR receiver 7 through 15 weeks last year and only three points behind receiver 4 before he left in week 16 in the first quarter. So, yeah, we were looking at a top five receiver last year before week 16. And, again, that was with abysmal quarterback play. Uh, moving on to Calvin Ridley's pro argument, what makes him an exciting pick is that, and you'll hear it cliche over and over again, he kind of reminds everyone of this year's Chris Godwin because just like Chris Godwin last year where they lost Adam Humphreys, where they lost to Sean Jackson and there was more of a role for him, uh, Austin Hooper's gone in Atlanta. Mohamed Sanu is also gone in Atlanta. The Falcons have a good quarterback. They play indoors. They have no defense whatsoever. So pretty really similar fact set to Chris Godwin's breakout last year. And I was obviously really, really high on Chris Godwin last year. I had him over the Vikings receivers, over the Rams receivers. I, I think I was one of the only people in the industry, not that I'm even in the industry, but I was thinking I was one of the only people that I know of in the industry who actually had Godwin above all of those receivers. And that was one of the main compliments I did get on my draft guide was like, oh, thank goodness, thank God, pun intended, that I drafted Chris Godwin uh, thanks to your guide. So not going to sit here to brag anymore. There's obviously, for every Chris Godwin, there's obviously the Curtis Samuel. Uh, but I think I'm leaning DJ Moore here. I kind of want redemption on that. I think the Panthers also have one of the worst defenses on paper in the entire NFL, if not the worst. And Joe Brady's taking over offensive coordinator duties. We saw him closely at LSU. Uh, very pass happy, and DJ Moore is great after the catch. I think Joe Brady can get him in space. And again, I think the Panthers are going to have a lot of negative game scripts where they are passing in garbage time because that defense is so atrocious. Uh, and I think that'll help uh, Teddy Bridgewater to kind of be more aggressive with his throws. And even if not, DJ Moore is a really nice, close to mid range target, which. Teddy Bridgewater loves to uh, season that part of the field. So, okay, let's go. 
next picks in the simulation, Leonard Fournette went, Chris Carson went, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Calvin Ridley, A.J. Brown, Tyler Lockett, Jonathan Taylor went. He's he's a really interesting pick in round four. Zach Ertz, he's tied in for Raheem Mostert. That seems kind of aggressive for Mostert in a PPR format. D.K. Metcalf. Le'Veon Bell, T.Y. Hilton, David Montgomery. Ew, David. David. Oh, yay, David. Cam Akers, Cortland Sutton, Dak Prescott, quarterback three right there. That would make uh, Matthew Barry proud. Scary Terry McLaurin, Devin Singletary, Keenan Allen, Mark Ingram, DJ Chark, and now I'm on the clock again. It's the second time in a row where a receiver that I would have considered for my pick, or for my one of my picks, went off the clock right before me. And the first one is Thielen. This one's DJ Chark. He would have been an option here for sure. Um, it's always important to keep, kind of a side note here, it's always important to keep track of these onesie positions like quarterback and tight end. And I've noticed it's actually really easy to do so when I'm reading these picks out loud. I might try to invoke that strategy when I'm doing my actual drafts. Uh, but it's important because these runs at these onesie positions uh, where you start one of these players, quarterback and tight end, are very important um, because you want to time those, especially if you're at the ends like I am. It's difficult to predict when those runs may occur. So if you're kind of set on you know, a certain quarterback or maybe two or three quarterbacks that you really like, you have to time those runs well and maybe reach for them because you're waiting 23 picks in between your picks. And same for your tight ends. And tight end is even more pressing because the position is always more thin than quarterback. So it's important to kind of keep track of where the quarterbacks and tight ends go in your drafts, and that's especially the case if you're on the ends. Uh, at tight end, Darren Waller is on the board. He's attractive. He's tempting. Uh, but I think I at least have to get one running back here. Right now I have two running backs, two receivers. Uh, there's really nothing. <laughs> there's already really not a lot left at running back. Jordan Howard is available. DeAndre Swift, Damian Williams, Sonny Michelle, Kareem Hunt, J.K. Dobbins. These are the types of backs. I mean, it's ugly. These are the types of backs that are available. And wow, I mean, we're only in round five. At the end of round five, but still, that's that's pretty crazy. I think that if I don't take one here and all of those guys are gone to my next pick or my next turn, I'll be ending up with a guy like Philip Lindsay, like just a straight backup as my RB3, which is unacceptable and definitely not a winning strategy. There's a running back who makes a lot of sense for my team out of this group, and that is Kareem Hunt. I've already drafted Nick Chubb, so that's part of it. I think I would be considering uh, Hunt here even if I had not drafted Chubb in round one. Uh, but not only is Kareem Hunt great Nick Chubb insurance if you have him, but if Chubb did go down, Hunt would be in every down back and probably a league winner. Um, but he also kind of has standalone ability in a full-point PPR format like this um, because both of my top two backs don't catch passes, Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs, and that's kind of all Kareem Hunt does. So there's talks of even him using or being utilized as the Browns' third receiver. So I'd probably pick Hunt here even if I didn't have Chubb, but I do have Chubb, which makes him an even more attractive pick. So I'm going to take Kareem Hunt here. I like kind of diversifying 
running backs. Like if I end up getting two running backs that don't catch passes, I like the fact that my third running back does catch passes. Kind of gives you a different type of feel and different type of floor and a, a new variable you can play with uh, where you aren't so reliant on game scripts. At wide receiver, Jarvis Landry is top rated for my sixth round pick. Let's see. Stephon Diggs is there. Devontae Parker there is there. A.J. Green is there. Julian Edelman now with Cam Newton. Tyler Boyd. This is, I don't really know what to think of the Cincinnati receivers. They are, they're tough because Boyd put up some pretty good numbers last year. A lot of it was in garbage time. A lot of it, obviously, with poor quarterback play, but A.J. Green was gone and now he's back. They also drafted T. Higgins. Uh, They also did not really use Joe Mixon in the first half of the season, but they fed him like a bell cow in the second half. And then obviously Joe Burrow is there now, rookie quarterback. So it's kind of tough to get a feel. I didn't even mention John Ross. John Ross missed a large portion of the season, but he was electric in weeks one and two uh, before getting hurt. So the Bengals actually have an amazing foursome receiver set there. Uh, but it's tough to predict them for fantasy purposes, so I'm not going to go with A.J. Green or Tyler Boyd here. Stephon Diggs, new guy in, in Buffalo. Josh Allen's his quarterback now. Edelman is attractive with Cam Newton in the fold, and he's kind of always been a PPR monster. Edelman, I don't know if I said this already, Edelman was receiver seven last year despite kind of gutting it out and playing through a number of injuries down the stretch. Uh, a lot of people don't realize, at least I didn't realize, when I before I started game logging that Julian Edelman was receiver seven last year. Uh, Devontae Parker, he finished really strongly with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And he was actually wide receiver four over the second half of the season uh, when he really turned it on. Preston Williams got hurt. Uh, but the, the whole offense for the Miami Dolphins really kind of turned it on, mainly Ryan Fitzpatrick. And they didn't have a running game. They didn't have a defense. So really Parker was the focal point of their offense. And But this was a breakout that people were waiting on for like 20 years. Uh, there's definitely a question with whether Tua Tungavailoa is going to start games for Miami this season. And that could kind of be a hit for Parker's fantasy stock. But uh, I'm going to take Parker here, actually, and hope that he parlays his strong finish into 2020 success. And that leaves me balanced, which I love. Three running backs, three wide receivers through six rounds. DeAndre Swift went next. Jarvis Landry, Darren Waller. Darren Waller's tight end five at 64 overall. Pretty late for him, actually. I, I sometimes see him go in the 50s, late 40s. Stephon Diggs, Kyler Murray at QB4. That's also later than usual. A.J. Green, Will Fuller, Deshaun Watson at QB5. Marquise Brown, Sony Michelle, Julian Edelman, Russ Wilson at the turn. There is nice value there. Evan Ingram, tight end six. Damian Williams, J.K. Dobbins, Tyler Boyd, Deontay Johnson, Michael Gallup. Giddy up. That seems pretty late for Gallup. Josh Allen, quarterback seven, who's gone. Debo Samuel, oops. I guess they simulation didn't really take into account the injury. Or maybe they did. Maybe it's factored in. I guess he was going a little bit earlier than this. Brandon Cooks and then Tyler Higby. I think tight end seven was the t- tight end and player who went before my pick. Bam, it is my turn. Uh, we definitely saw a bit of a quarterback run. So I missed out on the top quarterbacks. That's okay. I'll probably wait even longer. Matt Ryan is kind of tempting because, you know, he's always going to throw for 4,000 passing yards, 25 touchdowns. I mean, that's it at minimum. 
but I'm not going to reach for Matt Ryan because there's just so many available quarterbacks in this format. I'm actually a little afraid. My main thought process right now is I'm a little afraid that the tight end run may occur. Uh, Tyler Higby just went one pick before me, but also Darren Waller went in that uh, in that sequence, and so did Evan Ingram. And I'm a little nervous that if I wait on tight end, I may be sweating, sweating out a guy like Jared Cook or Hayden Hurst. I really don't want players. I really don't want to have to reach for a guy like Austin Hooper, Mike Jacecki, or Noah Fant. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it now. I'm gonna do it now. I think a lot of people could argue maybe Jared Cook is a reach. That's at pick. No, not so much. Pick 84 overall, not so much a reach actually. This is about where he should go. Maybe even higher. Um, I was thinking. I guess the draft goes by so fast when you're simulating that it feels like it's early, but it's actually not. Pick 84 is actually pretty good value for Cook, and I'm getting him at tight end eight. So, yeah, I feel good about that. I'm going to go Jared Cook, and let me pull out some numbers real quick, give some analysis here. Yeah, he finished strongly last season with Drew Brees at quarterback, and here's my game logging numbers. Uh, Final nine games with Drew Brees, weeks 10 through 18, and that's including playoff games. I always include playoff games in the sample because it just increases the sample size, which helps with more accurate predictions. So this was the final nine games, which includes one playoff game against the Vikings. We won't talk about that game. But in those nine games, he had 43 targets, 33 catches, 591 yards. Pretty good for nine games. Very good, actually. Seven touchdowns, which was awesome for nine games. And that was 65.6 receiving yards a game. And he also had 14.9 points per game. And that would have been tight end two if you extrapolate that over to a full season behind Travis Kelsey. What have you even beaten Kittle? So, although Kittle was a little banged up last year. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy with that Jared Cook pick. Uh, the only issue, of course, there's always negatives. There's always downsides for every player. The the down The argument against Cook is that the Saints added some target competition when they brought in Emmanuel Sanders. And Alvin Kamara had a, definitely had a down year in terms of touchdowns. He's usually kind of a, a beast in the red zone, and he was not particularly good in the red zone last year. And that could – a lot of those touchdowns that Cook scored may go to Kamara next year. And Michael Thomas is obviously a ball hog enough to prevent Cook from ever really, like, taking over as, you know, maybe having a Travis Kelsey-like season. So – I do think there is, yeah, I do think he's head and shoulders, the best tight end available at pick 84 overall. Um, but it also looks like I'm going to be streaming quarterback here unless I take Matt Ryan here. I don't really love the idea of taking quarterback and tight end and then missing out on some of the running back receiver value. Who is on the board? Some of these running backs are still starters for their team. Uh, I feel better about my wide receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster, DJ Moore, and Devontae Parker than I do about my running backs. So I want to take a running back here. Again, some starters on the team. No, actually, Sony Michelle's gone. Ronald Jones is on the board. D- Jordan Howard's on the board. Darius Geis is on the board. They are starters for their team, early down rules. Not really much in the receiving games. I think that, yeah, I think that I need to be patient with quarterback because if I bypass on one of these three running backs right here, these starting running backs, I'm going to end up with a pure backup like Gio Bernard or I mentioned Philip Lindsay earlier, Marlon Mack. 
I do not want a pure backup to be my RB4. I may need their volume during a bye week or if one of my starters goes down, I may need that that safety, that floor that they're going to get. At least I know these starters are going to get touches. Ronald Jones seems like the most appealing of the group to me because he's kind of that boomer bust option there. Probably the least safe of all the running backs available. But he kind of has double-digit double touchdown upside, assuming he fins off rookie Keyshawn Vaughn. Jones, Darius Geis, Jordan Howard, they all do nothing at receiver. I'm going to take the guy who actually gets the most touches of the bunch, or at least I think will get the most touches of the bunch. And I'm not particularly high on him. I've actually talked about him a little in, in episode two. But I do have clarity on what his role is, and that's an early down runner. Uh, Matt Breida is going to pay, play passing downs in Miami. Oh, by the way, I'm talking about Jordan Howard. And that's, you know, that established role is kind of what I'm looking for in this pick. Uh, kind of a volume-based starter that I can plug into the flex in favorable matchups in case one of my guys gets hurt. Jordan Howard, Dolphins lead back. Chan Gailey, their new offensive coordinator, has had successful running games in the past. Howard's the pick, along with Jared Cook. Let's move along. Marvin Jones. See, I'm starving like Marvin, girl. Duke Johnson, Matt Breida. Just talked about him. Keyshawn Vaughn, Ronald Jones, them two. Zach Moss, Darius Geis, Hunter Henry, Tony Pollard, CeeDee Lamb, Darius Slayton, Matt Ryan finally went 99th overall. Pretty late for him. I was kind of secretly hoping that he would, Matt Ryan would make it back to me. But he did not. That would have been ideal. Latavius Murray, James White, Tevin Coleman, Hayden Hurst. So, yeah, there's two tight ends. So, yeah, Jared Cook would not have made it back to me. Phil Lindsay, Tom Brady, Carson Wentz. Uh-oh, two quarterbacks there. Uh, McCall Hardman. And now I'm up. So round 9 and 10, picks 108 and 109 overall. I have four running backs, three wide receivers, and one tight end. I have no quarterback yet. Uh, Wentz and Brady just went. The best quarterbacks on this, according to these rankings, on the board, and that's important, by the way, is to look at the sites you're drafting on rankings. Why? Not necessarily, not necessarily because they're right, but because they do drive where players are picked in their draft. So rankings are generally, typically followed, and whatever site you use, so it's very important to kind of study those even before your draft. So you can kind of get a feel for what your draft is likely going to look like. There's always surprises, don't get me wrong, but different drafts, whether you're on CBS, NFL.com, ESPN, Yahoo, have different ranking sheets, and you will notice that if you look at the ADPs of all those sites, they are pretty strongly correlated with their ranking sheets on the site. People in your league are looking at these lists as their go-to list, most likely. So... Not as like their end-all, be-all, but it's a persuasive factor when you're drafting and you see guys at the higher than list, way lower than your player, you're going to tend to go with the pack. So it's important to pay attention to the list and the data that your, that your mock drafting or your drafting site has and study that before the draft. I do all the time. At the top of the, anyway, that was kind of a tangent. At the top of the list, we have, in terms of quarterbacks, we have... Aaron Rodgers, then Matt Stafford, then Drew Brees. And what I'm going to do here from a strategy perspective, not to bore you guys with strategy talk, but this is what this is part of what doing a mock draft is about. 
I'm. This is something I would definitely do if I were playing this out in my real league. I would. I don't have a quarterback yet. I would look at the quarterbacks. I would look at all the teams and see which ones have quarterbacks. And this is a huge strategy perspective because it looks like, let's see, 10 teams have their quarterbacks, it looks like. And I have not. So there's one other team that needs a quarterback other than me. So if I only like one of the two quarterbacks, one of the three quarterbacks I just named, let's say I only like Matt Stafford. I do not like Drew Brees. I do not like Aaron Rodgers this year for fantasy purposes. And I want to pick Stafford. I'm not going to take a risk. I'm going to take my guy now, Stafford, because there's a chance that Team 11, who the only team that doesn't have the quarterback, will take Stafford, and then I'd be left with two quarterbacks I don't want. But let's say I like two of them, or let's say I even like all three of them. But even if I like two of them, it's smarter for me to wait on quarterback because only one of these teams needs, other than I, other than my team, needs a quarterback. So it's smarter for me to wait on quarterback, let Team 11 take whoever they want at quarterback, and then I'll get one of the whoever they don't like because I have them valued pretty much the same. So it's based on your rankings of quarterbacks, but it's very important to see who's on the board at these onesie positions and how many teams have these onesie positions so you can try to determine whether or not you can wait. I think that I'm cool enough with Aaron Rodgers, with Matt Stafford, with Drew Brees. I'm cool enough with those guys to say, hey, listen, you know, only one other team needs a quarterback. I'm going to wait for them. You know, he can have whatever his choice of those three. And as long as no teams start taking their backup quarterbacks, which I don't think will happen, usually that doesn't really start until like round 12, then I will get Stafford or Drew Brees. So I'm going to wait on quarterback, and I'm probably just going to go BPA or best skill position available. That is running back and receiver. At this point in the draft, I'm looking strictly for upside. You know, pick 100 usually is kind of my mark where I start swinging for the fences, like these boomer bust picks with the highest ceiling possible because if you hit, it's glorious. And if you miss, you can just cut those guys anyway, and odds are you were likely to do so regardless. Uh, That's a very important philosophical concept in fantasy, by the way, that I can't really stress enough. Talking a lot of strategy here as we get later in the draft, but late round selections should always have really, really high upside possibilities. I mentioned in the last podcast You want the guys who don't necessarily have a clear path to success right now, but the ones to where if they did get a break or two, they could be dominant. So not Golden Tate, not Gio Bernard, because if Joe Mixon were to get hurt, Gio Bernard would still probably be a change of pace receiving running back. He would not be a league winner. Not Sammy Watkins, not guys like that. They're useless at this part. Okay, so I talked about Antonio Brown kind of being worth a shot in episode two. And he's not ranked. So another strategy tidbit, it's smart to guys like that who are not ranked or ranked really, really down low. You want to actually put them in your queue when the draft starts so you don't forget about them later on. Like a guy like Antonio Brown, he's not ranked because he's not playing football right now. But perfect example. That doesn't mean some people in your league might not be waiting to grab him in the last round of their draft. So you want to, you don't want to forget about him. You don't want to be the guy who once they take Antonio Brown in round 14 or whatever, and you're sitting there saying, oh my gosh, I was going to do that, but I totally forgot about that. What a great pick. I'm so jealous. You don't want to be that guy. You want to be the one taking Antonio Brown whenever you want to. You want to put those guys who are ranked really down low or not ranked at all on 
the on your queue list so you can always kind of see them and keep them in mind for picks like now. I'm not going to take Antonio Brown because I think I can wait on him. Let's see. It's only round – what are we in right now? We're in round – we're in round 9 and 10. So, yeah, I think that's a little early for Antonio Brown. I'm looking at all upside, though. There's – See at wide receivers, some of the rookies are kind of piquing my interest: Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Rager, and Justin Jefferson. Because we don't really know what to expect for them, and one of them could, you know, be a hit. I think Justin Jefferson and Jerry Judy are likely number two receivers on their own teams with Cortland Sutton and Adam Thielen. Jalen Rager could have the number one role. We just talked about him, and depending on what happens with Deshaun Jackson, if anything, if I knew that Deshaun Jackson was cut as of the, as of Right now, I probably would take Jalen Rager with this pick. But as of now, Jalen Rager is a number two receiver on this team. I'm going to take the only number one receiver who's a rookie on the team right now, at least that we know of, and that is Henry Ruggs. I think that the Raiders hope he'll kind of make a Tyreek Hill impact. He's, he's kind of going under the radar. He's a deep threat with tremendous speed. Carr seems allergic to throwing the ball downfield, but... In the off chance, he kind of ramps up the aggression, maybe because they brought in Marcus Mariota. We've seen that in the past with Alex Smith. I was forgetting his name for a second. When they brought in Pat Mahomes, all of a sudden Alex Smith, the conservative uh, check down Alex Smith, was throwing downfield. Maybe Derek Carr has some sort of a revelation. He sees Marcus Mariota, or he sees you know that he's on the chopping block. Maybe he'll see Henry Ruggs. He could be a game changer. And he definitely has a clear path to target. So I'm going to take Ruggs here at running back. I'm going to speed this up real quick. There's really only pure backups and handcuffs available. In fact, even Tony Pollard, probably the best handcuff in fantasy football, he's gone. Uh, but there is one handcuff I really like, and that is Alexander Madison. Because I just talked about how you know you want guys who, if one of the breaks goes their way, he'd be a star. And that is Alexander Madison. He'd probably be a top 12 running back if Dalvin Cook either got hurt, which he has a tendency to do, and Dalvin Cook's also holding out. So that makes Alexander Madison a pretty attractive pick. So I'm going to go with Alexander Madison and Henry Ruggs here. Okay, this next turn is going to be my final turn. I was running out of time here. Uh, The defenses have started to go. This is pick. 132 and 133 overall. Um, let's see. Oh, wait, let me read the picks real quick. Uh, Patriots defense, Niners defense, Steelers defense, all gone. They didn't go in a row. I'm just kind of seeing they have different colors, so I'm just kind of seeing where they went. Boston Scott went, Daryl Henderson went, Marlon Mack. Jerry Judy. Gio Bernard talked about him as a guy we won't want to target here. Austin Hooper, Mike Jacecki, so some tight ends. Jameson Crowder, Sammy Watkins, Sterling Shepard, Deshaun Jackson went. Uh, Noah Fant, Antonio Gibson, Dallas Godert, Aaron Rodgers, and Matt Stafford. Wow, two quarterbacks went. So I thought that only one team... No, yeah, somebody took their backup. So somebody took their backup quarterback. So yeah, now it's probably time. When somebody starts taking your backup and the guy you like or one of the guys you like is still on the board, it's probably time to execute there. So Drew Brees was the that one of those three quarterbacks, Stafford, Rodgers, or Drew, that ended up falling. He's the one that is the lost puppy who's still on the board. 
I will happily secure Drew Brees. I will gladly take him there. That is a steal at pick 132. Quarterback 13. So, and then I'll I'll wind this up with taking the Bills defense in round 12. I'll show some defenses, some love. Probably in a real draft, I probably would have taken Jalen Rager there and then consider defense in round in round 14 or 15. But uh, I'll just take the Bills defense right here because some have already gone off the board. Yeah, we are done. My final team, quarterback Drew Brees. Running backs are Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, Kareem Hunt, Jordan Howard, Alexander Madison. Receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster, DJ Moore, Devontae Parker, Henry Ruggs. Tight end, Jared Cook. And the Bills defense as my defense. Didn't take a kicker. Didn't have time for all that. This Finding the sweet spots to take quarterback and tight end are that's key when you're on the end of the draft i mean because you have to wait so long in between picks you have to continually scan the draft to try to predict when these runs of these onesie positions will occur and you kind of make calculations whether you can wait on those spots based on who you like on your board and for me it ended up working out pretty well i kind of got lucky actually with jared cook i don't know what i would have done at tight end I probably would have punted the position had I missed on Jared Cook. So I kind of got lucky he fell to me. But with Drew Brees, that was just smart strategy right there where you know we waited on quarterbacks. I liked three of them on the board. There was only one team that needed a quarterback left. And you know two ended up going, but Drew ended up still being there. So it's important to time those onesie position runs there and keep track of them on the ends of your draft. So let that be one of the takeaways from this mock draft, I hope that you learned something. I hope that you learned a lot here. And I, I, or I hope it was helpful or entertaining. Uh, I hope y'all enjoyed it. All right, real quickly, let's get to our fantasy nugget of the show. This one is brought to you by Jared Smola at SmolaDS of DraftSharks.com. Here it is. Jarvis Landry has finished as a top 19 PPR wide receiver in five straight seasons. His average draft position right now, receiver 32. That's it. That is the nugget. And that'll conclude today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed listening today. Please, please, please subscribe to this podcast. Give me a five-star rating if it's within your heart on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow me on Instagram at FantasyLawGuy, and you can pose your fantasy questions there, and I'll answer them on the show like we did with Thomas today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I leave you with this in honor of the live draft conducted today. What is for credits? I don't know what that means to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah. All right, go, go. In five, four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is it. In five, four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. And we will leave you with a... I can't do it. We'll do it live. Okay.